welcome back to another episode of Well-Lit Paths. In Psalm 37, David understands how easy it can be to get frustrated with the wicked and preoccupied with their seeming success. I can't wait to dive in what that means for us. But first, how was your week? You know, I asked my wife, Crystal, if I could use some of her recent testimony to share uh, concerning this point that we're going to dive into this week. A few years ago, Crystal was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. It's not at all what I thought it was. It's not the kind of arthritis that locks up your joints and makes them hurt when the weather changes. It's actually an autoimmune disease where your body has come to believe that the tissue of your joints are a foreign substance that needs to be removed. So your immune system begins to treat them as such. Now, since you can't get rid of your joints, your body is literally inflicting pain on itself because it's confused. It can't figure out why those darn joints aren't being fixed by its constant attacks. There are times that the body gets so frustrated that it ramps up the attacks. And there are also times where it seems like it's kind of okay that these foreigners are here. They can go ahead and stick around for now. Now, physically, what that means is that Crystal has days where her pain scale can be at a three. And let's I'm going to be honest with you, that's probably something you and I would consider a six. But that's her resting state. It never fully goes away. Every step, every movement hurts. It's like stubbing your toe, hitting your funny bone, and racking your knee against something all at the same time. And it's all over all at once. On her bad days, well, on her bad days, it can be debilitating. This is a life-altering disease. And by her own admission, she struggled with it. She has been and still some days is frustrated with it. And she was telling me one time when we were talking about it that for the longest time she was asking God, why? Why me? I serve you. I love, I love you, Lord. This disease has taken me out of some things that I love to do for you. And it may someday take me out of more. She told me that she could think of so many people who aren't Christians who never have had to deal with this type of sickness, this kind of chronic condition. And it bugged her. And there are times it made her cry. And there have been times when it's made her angry. And she's not perfect. She still has those times. But there are some things that this disease has caused her to do. She's told me that she's come to recognize that God didn't do this to her. This is just the sin in the world that we deal with. It's not a punishment. And she's learned to lean on him. She's learned that it's okay not to be strong in every moment. She's told me it's also taught her a lot about pride. That it's okay to ask for help from other people. It's okay to say that you can't today or that you can't do everything that you want to do. It's taught her to let go. It's taught her to lean on the everlasting arms. And it's made her life more difficult. But I can't tell you the amount of change that I've seen in her. What could have caused her to distance herself from God and his people has instead 
drawn her closer to both. It's drawn her closer to his word. It's made her more passionate about service. It's taught her where she ends and God begins. But she could have stayed there in comparison. She could have gotten angry that the wicked seemed to be doing just fine and why did this bad thing have to happen to her? She could have, to use a bit the biblical word, fretted about all the ways that most unbelievers seem to not deal with what she was and is still dealing with. Instead, she's chosen to cling to what David points us to in Psalm 37. Let's take a look. Psalm 37, beginning in verse 1. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord, and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger, forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plotteth against the just, and gnasheth upon him with his teeth. The Lord shall laugh at him, for he seeth that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn out the sword and have bent their bow to cast down the poor and the needy and to slay such as be of upright conversation. Their sword shall enter into their own heart and their bows shall be broken. A little that a righteous man hath is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken but the Lord upholdeth the righteous. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time, and in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume into smoke, shall they consume away. Well, the wicked borroweth and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. For such as be blessed of him shall inherit the earth, and they that be cursed of him shall be cut off. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. 
I have been young and now am old. Yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He is ever merciful and lendeth, and his seed is blessed. Depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. The mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom and his tongue talketh of judgment. The law of God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. The wicked watcheth the righteous and seeketh to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand nor condemn him when he is judged. Wait on the Lord and keep his way. And he shall exalt thee to inherit the land when the wicked are cut off. Thou shalt see it. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a green bay tree. Yet he passed away and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. Mark the perfect man, and behold the upright, for the end of that man is peace. But the transgressors shall be destroyed together, the end of the wicked shall be cut off. But the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. Now, David gives some don'ts in this passage, but he also gives some do's. And we're going to look at as many of them as we can as we come to them. The first he tells us, fret not because of non-believers in the world and their actions. Now, the word fret here in this passage actually doesn't mean fret the way we would think about it today. When I first started reading this passage, I was like, okay, don't worry about what non-believers are doing. They'll get theirs. That's pretty simple. But that's not it. What he's saying is translated here as the Old English fret, which means to not get bent out of shape when we see wicked people doing wicked things and receiving no punishment for it. And man, do I get mad sometimes. I think to myself sometimes, just look at these idiots just running around doing stupid stuff. Look at these child murderers. Look at the wicked and the sexually deviant. And while he also tells us not to be envious, he doesn't mean that we're being envious of their deeds. He means that he can see us feeling like we envy their lack of conscience. And I, I can't even tell you how many times I've felt like that. You ever like think to yourself, man, I, I wish I could go out and get plastered and not feel that the Holy Spirit's convicting me of that. You ever get so mad at somebody or like, oh, I wish I could just cuss 
and tell them what I really think of them and not feel the Holy Spirit whispering to me that this is not what Jesus wants for me. I wish I could let my gaze linger too long on the woman walking by and not hear the word of God through the Holy Spirit say to me, if you think it, you've done it. And David says he gets it. He knows how easy it is to be mad and envious at the same time. That's why he's calling it out. Like you and I, he had seen it in himself and he's using what God had taught them in those moments to teach us in our moments. He says, hold on to this. Don't you know that they're about as fleeting as grass in July in Texas? They turn brown and wither and die because their roots have no living water. And then he gives us a second command, trust. Trust that the Lord makes good on his promises. Like Crystal, we've all had times in our lives before our most recent struggle where God has proven himself faithful. We've all read where God has said, he will be faithful. Just like he's faithful to the new believer when they call on him for salvation, he's faithful to the saint who calls on him in their struggle. When we got saved, it was so easy to see how much he rescued us from. As uneducated sinners who knew nothing yet of God's love, we were fine to go about our lives. We didn't know. The minute the Holy Spirit got a hold of our hearts, whether by spoken gospel or written gospel, and opened our eyes to the fact that we were dirty, rotten sinners in need of a Savior, we knew we needed something we didn't have. And as Christians now, we have that something living within us. We have the power in us to do good, if we would just trust him. And when we do that, we'll be fed. Well, does that mean that we'll never be in need? No, but it does mean that even in times of need, we'll not go through them alone. We'll have a comfort. That's something we never had before. He then says to delight in the Lord. Now, he's not just saying, be happy. There's some English words just like fret that just don't do these types of words that are being used justice. To delight in this context means to be luxuriously pampered. Now, I'm sure in the middle of Crystal's bad days, in the middle of your cancer treatments, or in the middle of the loss of your loved one, you don't feel luxuriously pampered. Is this promise not delivered on then? As you go through your worst day, or as we go through a string of worst days, David is reminding us that God, our Father who wants only good for us, is cradling us in his arms. He can't remove the pain immediately. He will one day. The pains and the heartaches of this life should cause us to look forward. The fact that we will one day be free of these sin-cursed bodies seems very 
luxurious. If we can hold on to that on our worst days, maybe we'll feel a little pampered. Even when a child has been hurt and runs to his or her parent to be comforted, to be pampered, the pain doesn't just go away. And just like that parent, our father whispers to us, I know it's bad. This isn't what I wanted. Lean on me. Cry on my shoulders. I know what you're feeling. I've felt the most excruciating of human pains too. It's not okay now, but one day I promise it will be. Trust me. Is there a little delight there for us? And maybe that delight comes more easily when we follow the next command to commit. What this means is to lay on. When it says to commit your way, this is David doing his David thing. He's being the poet he so excellently is. He's saying, lay the burden of the path we have to walk on the Lord. Now, that can be hard to do when we're trying to walk our own path. He's never going to take up the burdens we cause ourselves when we try to walk a road he doesn't intend for us. This is where the trust part comes in. But if we do trust, he knows what's best for us. If we follow the path of service and ministry he's laid out before us, any burden we've accumulated can then be handed to him. He takes them from us and he either chucks them if we don't need them anymore or the ones that we have to bear, he puts his shoulders under them with us. He never says that he's just going to carry all of our burdens, but he does say that his yoke is easy. He wants to be right beside us sharing the load. And I'll tell you, we're going to find that sometimes our burden can seem so light because he has bigger shoulders than we do. He'll mold us when we let him have his way in our lives to be more like him. That his righteousness shows through us a little more each day. And in the light of his righteousness, the attractiveness of what the wicked are doing and our anger against them will more obviously show us their end, their judgment. When we allow ourselves to be cared for, when we lay our burdens on him to share, only then will we find rest, peaceful silence, and then wait patiently for him to reveal his will, his purpose for us. What could God possibly be using this hardship for, this struggle, this disease, this death? Let's lay our anger aside. Let's get over our angry. When Christ got angry, he healed people. What is our anger healing? What if we got angry at sin instead of God, 
for the things that happen because of sin and started using every doctor's appointment, every broken bone, every malady, every loss as an opportunity to point those around us to hope. Because while we know and want evildoers to be cut off, that they should meet their end, how many of those evildoers are we trying to bring out of the devil's grasp and into the loving arms of the one who holds us? What if we shared in our struggle the rest and the peace that we have in Christ? Well, Tom, you've never been through what I've been through. And you're right. But I know someone who has. And he says that he is our hope. He says that while sin has messed up and corrupted not just our souls, but the very bodies we live in, he is our hope. A hope for an eternity free of this body. No, that, that's great, but it doesn't help me now. Well, you're right again. I know that pain is real. Physical, emotional, mental pain and anguish are real things. Our souls and our spirits can feel the pain of this world. But in a little while, in a little while, not just the wickedness of the world, the wicked people of the world, but the wickedness of our own bodies, our own situations will not be. We'll look at what is our today and it simply won't be anymore. And I know it can be done. I know God can give grace. Because while I've not dealt with some of the pain and heartaches of abuse, loss, disease, church hurt, and many, many things that others have dealt with or are dealing with in their lives, I can think of many examples of people who have and they let their light shine anyway. Pastors who suffered physical abuse in their young lives and went on to be champions of the faith. Church members who suffer through disease and minute-by-minute minute pain and still serve God. Seasoned saints whose health keeps them from church and they've allowed it to turn them to prayer warriors. Believers whose children are living a homosexual lifestyle and it's drawn those believers closer to God. It's made them more committed to the work God has called them to and opened their eyes to the true unconditional love of God. Christians who on their deathbed, bodies consumed by cancer, turn to a lost loved one and share the truth of their Savior with the person in the room that needs him most. How this God that saved them can save that person too. 
So no, I haven't gone through whatever you may be going through or have gone through. But maybe God's design is to use this experience for you to one day be an encouragement to another Christian. And as we move on, when the meek, those that believe and humble themselves before God, one day inherit a new heaven and a new earth, none of the pain of this life will even be a memory. The wicked will have had their end and there will be a finality like nothing they've ever known. But there will also be a blessed beginning for us. All of the pain that the unbeliever has to endure here on earth will be magnified and perpetuated in eternity, but not for us. Then we'll know the type of delight that is true, pampered luxury. It'll be like no paradise we've ever known or imagined. And our God knows his children. He's prepared an inheritance for us, and it will be forever. All the joys that we perceive the wicked have in their revelings and sins in this life will vanish like the smoke from a grill on a Saturday evening. It'll linger for a bit. The smoke comes off the grill and fades as it rises into the sky, and even the smell of it outlasts the sight of it. The next morning, there's... No trace of smoke, no smell of it in the air. And the wicked may linger for a while. They may leave a mark on society, on the world. But eventually, just like the smell of the smoke dissipates, all is forgotten. There's a reason why the name of Jesus has outlasted them all. This is who we belong to. This is who has our names written down. And our names, our lives, will be his for eternity. We're going to trip in this life. We're going to sin. We're going to get angry and we're going to get mad at God. And we're going to get mad at the wicked. But every time we fall, he'll be right there to help us up. To help us get up on our feet and depart from it. This life is never going to be without trouble. Saints and sinners alike will die penniless. Saints and sinners alike will die the victims of tragedy. Saints and sinners will never be more different than when they reach their eternal home. For saint and sinner alike will be judged by only one name. Did you confess the name of Jesus and trust him in this life? We'll all bow before Jesus in this life for the next, but bowing before him in this life means we get to bow before him and remain with him throughout eternity. David says in all the years of his life, he's never seen the seed of those that believe in God begging bread. And while some would take this 
as a health and wealth passage, I would implore them to look at it with the eyes of reality. When Jesus said we would always have the poor with us, he meant poor and needy Christians as much as he meant the poor and needy unbeliever. Well, does this render this passage untrue? To the contrary, I would argue that it validates this passage. David isn't saying he's never seen a beggar in Jerusalem. He's saying that even the beggar doesn't continually beg bread forever. At some point, the beggar may run out of food. At some point, the believing beggar may die. But as Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I have to tell you, we put entirely too much stock in this life. And while I'm not advocating or arguing for assisted suicides or mass suicides or suicide of any kind to get to heaven sooner, we don't and can't know our time. And while we shouldn't hasten to it, We can do nothing to stop it when the Lord calls us home. This is why David says the saints will be preserved forever. Verse 28 in this passage is explanatory of verse 25. Preservation is the opposite of being forsaken. In defining how and for how long we will be preserved, David explains the overarching meaning of his statement on being forsaken and without bread. The truth is, we'll be without bread sometimes, but not for eternity. This life will have pain, struggles, loss, but praise God, not in eternity. Our inheritance is a city built four square. Our inheritance is a new Jerusalem and a new heaven and new earth where we will walk with him daily where time will have lost its meaning and all of the cares of this present world won't even be the faintest memory. And we may see the wicked come to great power in this life. We may see them flourish and it may frustrate us. Wait on the Lord. Yes, it may seem like the wicked have no punishment, But in our patient faithfulness, we will see the eventual bounty of our Lord, whereas the wicked will only experience eternal destruction. We should mark and behold, identify and study the mature and upright person. Like agents of the U.S. Treasury, we should study the perfect and mature ways of righteousness that will point out the counterfeits to us, the things that are not righteous. And when we look in the mirror, do we have a subject to study there? Will our spiritual maturity, will the Christ we see in us allow us to more readily identify and push ourselves away from the counterfeitness, the wickedness that we can all be so susceptible to? Does our mirror reflection show the Savior? Or does it make it difficult to separate the, quote, good guys from the bad guys? And finally, our salvation is of the Lord. Thanks be to God who saw fit to love us enough to save us, who loves us even when we fail. 
who loves us when we look around at what we may call unfair, and who loves us enough to give us his word so he can guide us to a better understanding of how he blesses in our lives no matter what the season. I looked and saw the cost of sin. There it was when I awoke. It pinched my spine, it hurt my head, it pushed me out the door. The young of age pranced and danced, barely shuffled could I. I hadn't gotten limber yet, I needed coffee to come alive. I glanced in my account and saw no magic balance there. Yet there was the news again showing another dishonest millionaire. Oh, poor me, I thought inside. Still, I had not prayed. I'd not cracked open the word. I'd had a late start today. In all of my comparison, I forgot to look within, to remember where I once was and the weight of all my sin. When finally I opened my Bible, the Spirit tugged at my heart. The rewards of eternity are worth the cost of being set apart. While riches may not be mine and no picture of health am I, I've a hope no one can steal and he's ever by my side. When dark clouds form and all seems bleak, I'll remember my new name. I'll look with eyes focused on him and my vision will never be the same. Hey, thanks for walking with me a while as we read the word together. Won't you join me again next week and we'll walk just a little further? If you like the podcast, go ahead and hit that follow button. If you have any questions about salvation or general podcast questions, uh, reach out to us via email at podcast at lakeworthbaptist.org. Go ahead and follow us on Instagram and Facebook by looking for LWBC underscore publications.